God, it is roasting in here. We've only just begun. <laughs> just, I'm just going to sit here and stew in my sweat. Hot. Literally. Just yeah. take your clothes off. Uh, you will not be able to get through a podcast like that. I will not be able to get through a full sentence like that. That's true. Shit. Welcome to episode two of Poopy Poo Pointless. Episode two. Are you going to start every episode really awkward for the first five minutes? I'm always awkward for all minutes. Since we last talked, first episode is public now. Um, and also, thanks to this lady face right here, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. have a pretty dope website. And she managed to secure at Poopy Pointless on like every social media channel. Oh yeah, I'm not touching TikTok with the 10-foot pole though. Let me brag about you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got the dot com, we got all the ats, and that's Sarah. Good job. And I made a logo. A super cool badass logo that would look great on t-shirts and or stickers. Just saying. It's episode two. It's a little earlier for merch. <laughs> it just looks really cool. <laughs> it does, yeah. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm proud let of me you. Bra- let me brag about you for a second. Show me your dick. <laughs> that escalated real quick. So, for figuring out who goes first this episode, we're going to play a game of trouble, which I think gives me the advantage because I usually kick your butt at this. Uh, winner gets to decide who goes first. <sighs> I don't even know which one I want. I don't know if I want to go first, though, or second. This is great because it's going to torture you. It's, it's you, you don't torture. Know, you don't know if you're going to be trying to win or lose this game. <sighs> I'm not going to try to lose on purpose. I will never try to lose our purpose either. <laughs> oh! Wow. Okay. All right. Nice. Eat shit, loser. <laughs> Eat shit, fucker. <laughs> Eat fuck shitter. Fuck shit eater. <laughs> so, oh my god, what? <laughs> as we go, uh, I actually have a couple updates on last week's story. Not really updates, because they're all from the 1600s. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> the things that I wouldn't let you Google. A couple things I realized I left out, or things I didn't know at the time. I Googled it once we got done, because yeah. I'm not allowed to Google while we're doing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Firstly... Mm-hmm. The little pirate thing that they used to navigate by the stars. Oh my god, yes. You called it a Connecticut. You called it an atlas and I called it a Connecticut. (laughs) It's called an astrolabe. You know, and I'm irritated that I didn't know that because one of my favorite astrology websites is called something extremely similar. Astrolabia. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to imagine what kind of horoscope... You literally, you literally said, I'm trying to imagine what kind Mother of horror. Fuck. I know, I got sixes all days, bitch. I'm so annoyed. It's in the stars. Mm. Astrolabia. <laughs> I got another one. This one's actually kind of cool, right? Okay. Remember uh, Henry Hall, old ass hero, friend. lighthouse keeper? Uh, yes. So I said that a boat picked them up after the fire. Mm-hmm. Not quite true. Did a little more reading. Turns out, first of all, they didn't have a dock. So they were just out there standing on the edge of the rock. The one that goes underwater. Yeah. Jesus. And so the boat couldn't approach them because the weather was also bad that day. (laughs) They got fucked, man. So what the boat did to rescue these three guys, they threw ropes at them. They caught the ropes, tied them around themselves, and jumped into the ocean. All three of them, including like Henry Hall, were actually just burned to shit, were dragged through the Atlantic Ocean during a storm to get rescued by this boat. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh my God. Heroes. Hey, total heroes. heroes. Lighthouse keepers are fucking badass. Ooh, I'm all up in that anus. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, just do it. Just kill me. Okay, this is why I shouldn't talk big game. Trouble's cutthroat. I, you know... Trouble breaks up families. Dude, who were we playing it with that got, like, really pissed off at your birthday last year? Yeah, there was a guy who went all aggro about trouble. I'm like, this is a children's game. You How understand did you get that, another right? six? I worship the correct devils. Man. Six is all dizzy. Well, I don't know. You're pagan. I mean, I don't know if that's... Paganish, which is just, I'm a witch. I like weird stuff is how I like to describe it. It's a little easier. Because people get really strange when you say you're pagan. They're like, are you going to steal my baby? I just want to get naked in the woods and drink a lot of wine. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's all I... <laughs> Mother! The Papamatic hates me. Thank you. So you said you had an update too, right? I do. 
But six is all day. <laughs> I could not find any information on what kind of car Creepy McCreeperson was driving. Did like, you actually try and find out if he had oh, a right van? I spent so long on like the Contra County website. I was like on prison lookup. Zero information. That's what I appreciate about you, Miss Saris. I'm trying to find rape vans. But there was actually an update thanks to the Snopes article on July 13. How much people who were proponents of the Wayfair child trafficking theory shared a mugshot of a guy in a Wayfair t-shirt that had recently been arrested as part of a trafficking ring. Ooh. His name is Frederick Walker Jr. He was arrested on June 21st, 2020 during a prostitution sting in Barnesville, Georgia, wearing a Wayfair shirt. So Who the fuck? I don't know if he was an employee. I didn't look up too much into that because I was like, I'm just going to drive myself nuts going down this hole again. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. That's a one. Damn it. How many, somebody formed a head. Bang, so bang. I should have kept track of how many sixes you've gotten so far. This is ridiculous. Anyways, we'd like to note, though, that sting had nothing to do with children. He was just one of nearly two dozen people who were arrested during the sting and none other than this individual guy were wearing Wayfair t-shirts. So that is my only update, but it is, I mean, a little suspicious. It's, uh, it's part of the whole thing. It's, it's... That's the fun thing about conspiracies is oh it's either nothing or everything. Everything. Exactly. Yeah. Did you just see another six? Oh, yeah. Shit, I did. <laughs> yes! Hey, look at you. There you go, bitch. Get some. Get it. Or no dairy. But sex! <laughs> God! <laughs> Engineering departments killing it today. Yeah. I, mm-hmm, I'm a Actually, you should tell the people out there about the engineering department and the comms department. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah. So uh, Todd and I work extremely well together. Um, do how did you get another six? I'm the shit. What we don't do well is if we have the exact same job, we will step on each other's toes a lot. Like, All we can't. Goddamn day. <laughs> we can't both be project manager. It doesn't work well. We're both too similar. So in order to stop that, when we were building the website and kind of getting everything together, Todd had the great realization that. We need different titles and different sectors to do the podcast. So even though we're co-creators. Co-founders, bitches. Co-founders. You are the engineering department. So Todd is in charge of actually cutting vocals together, making sure everything sounds good. And I am communications. I, you I, got this from Star Trek. I'm our chief engineer and you're I, a communications officer. Damn it. I just realized you got this from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You're a Huru and I'm Scotty. I'll accept this. Those are two of my favorite characters. Word. Cool. Best ones. Mm. Big ass titties. Mm. I forgot what color I was for a second. Yeah, this is why your comms. <laughs> God, fuck me. What? Six is all day. Okay. Was it your first trouble day? I'm giving you a trouble strategy. You've kicked my ass every trouble game ever. And I always come from behind. Ew. <laughs> Was it was it sexy? Did you like that? I don't. But okay, <laughs> I have another uh, correction. I mentioned Smeaton's concrete. That I said he invented a new kind of concrete that anchored the lighthouse so well they still haven't been able to remove the foundation. Mm-hmm. Not actually true. He did rediscover it though. It was a kind of Roman concrete. They were used to build like the aqueducts and stuff. Okay. And nobody had used it for hundreds of years since the Romans were around, and he you know was interested in that kind of shit. Yeah. And he rediscovered its application. Okay. But it's the first modern use of it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's called hydraulic lime. Oh. Um, basically, the stuff Smeaton did on that lighthouse is the reason concrete works so well today. But I said he invented it. Not quite. The Romans invented yeah. it. He was the one guy smart enough to go like, hey, this problem's already been solved. Read your history books. Mm-hmm. That's why Smeaton, also didn't mention this, Smeaton is known as the father of modern civil engineering. Before that, the first two were built by like an artist, a silk tradesman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason because there wasn't really a civil engineer title. They didn't know that that was a thing that they should have. Which is why the Great Fire of London, like a fire that started in one kitchen destroyed half the city. I thought that was because of Doctor Who. 100% accurate. <laughs> 
Why does that turn me on? Watching that TV show is ruining what little ability I have to remember history facts. My... Because whatever happened in history, Doctor Who did it. It's in my brain the now, tr- yes. The, the Trojan horse. I get, like, my suspension of belief for fictional universes. Fire of London. Is so thorough that, like, sometimes when you mention history stuff, my brain's like, oh yeah, that one time in Doctor Who, we like, with the, oh... That's Sarah's not a real thing. Okay. Well, that's like Red Dwarf ruined my perception of the Kennedy assassination. (laughs) I can see that. Because all I see is Lee Harvey Oswald up there, ready to take the shot, and then Lister kicking him out the window. Yes. Uh, the other thing I learned is that Smeaton's Lighthouse, where they reconstructed it now, where it's a public Mm -hmm. park. Beautiful one. I want to go there. Oh, yeah. You got a picture of it on the site. That park, its name is Ho Park. (laughs) I was trying so hard not to laugh. You're a sucker. God, I know. Also, when I sang that uh, sea shanty... Did you remember the word? Yeah, it's not fucking. We well, I... all knew it wasn't fucking. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was an old-timey word for sex. Couldn't remember what it was. Copulation. It was union. Out, Stop. Out of their union, there came three. I think I like fucking better. Same. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm going to win this. Listen, honey, you have a talent for coming from behind. <laughs> what was that noise? <laughs> My precious... Hey, there she is. Woo. Told you. Watch this. All sexes Woo. for the rest of the day. Woo. If I can catch up to you. Uh... <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Todd's <laughs> right next to the area, so he just needs a two to win, and I am two behind him. <sighs> okay. Get a two. Get a two. Get a two. Get a two. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, fuck off. I got a two. She got a deuce. <laughs> do it. Do what you have to do. This is what I'm fucking talking oh, about. Bitch. I'm always, like, one second away from winning. Oh. And you call in, like, all of your creepy forest god favors. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so good. Fuck (laughs) off. This is so good. You're gonna fucking do it. (laughs) I thought I was just talking shit. No, you're gonna do it. This is exactly what happens every goddamn game. Uh, I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. (laughs) Yes! 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 Suck it! Boop, 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 <laughs> I've been talking shit at you for days that I was gonna beat you. I thought I was gonna lose it. I was like, I can't handle Babe, this. I was one space away from winning. I know. Trouble's fucking cutthroat. Super cutthroat. Alright, so what do you want? You go first. Fuck. <laughs> Today I'm gonna talk to you about Jepson's Malort. <laughs> what? A Malort? It's a Malort made by Jepson. <laughs> I think it's actually pronounced Malort. Is it French? Right, continent. Is it European? Yes, that's the continent, yes. I ha- okay, Malut. Malut, made by Gibson. Malut. <laughs> uh, Malort. Well, most folks call it Malort, but it's pronounced Malut. What are you talking Calm about? Calm down. I'm talking about Gibson's Malut. <laughs> Is it Swedish? There you go. Yes! Okay, tell me about this Swedish Malert of Jepson. I'm not shocked that you have never heard of this. Most people have never heard of this, especially in the United States. But well, even, that's not saying something. But even like Europe, it's not really well known outside of Sweden. Okay. And in America, nobody fucking knows what it is, except if you go to Chicago and ask anybody about Malert, every single motherfucker on the street will know exactly what you're talking about. And they may have some on them. What? You're going to explain this, right? I'm making some strange conspiracy theory connections in my head because that's the space I've been in for the last week. No, it's not conspiracy. It's just history. Okay. Malurt. <laughs> I can't take you seriously if you say it like that every single time. Malurt <laughs> is not just popular, but like known or exists in only two places in the world. The entire country of Sweden and Chicago, Illinois. What the fuck is it? Jepson's Malurt <laughs> is regarded as the most disgusting liquor in the world. 
More disgusting than that weird fish Greenland shark liquor that you drank? Yes. There are very, very, very few people who actually like it, and they are lying. So it's... Malert is nasty. What is that spread that everyone's obsessed with? Marmite. So it's like Marmite, but liquor. Yes, except Australians actually like Marmite. I do actually like Marmite. And I think you like Marmite? I do. You're fucked up. I asked you a week ago if I could buy a thing of Marmite just to lick, and you're like, what the fuck? You can buy a bottle of Marmite and not get it anywhere near me, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know that, like, um, beef bouillon base? Like, the better than bouillon or better than beef stuff? Yeah. I will stick my finger in there and just lick it. Yeah, you are fucked up. (laughs) It's hard to describe what malure tastes like. It's hard to even say malure. But I have a few of my (laughs) favorites here. Let me tell you about Uh, malure. Malure tastes like hairspray and death. (laughs) What? Malure tastes like swallowing a burnt condom filled with gasoline. I'm actually kind of getting an idea of what it might taste like from these. Malure tastes like pencil shavings and heartbreak. Ooh. Oh, that's sad. Malure tastes like pepper, then basement. (laughs) What? (laughs) And this is my favorite one. Malure tastes like sucking a grapefruit's dick. (laughs) I've actually had it once when I was in Chicago years and years ago, and I agree. It's fucking terrible. The best thing I can compare it to is it tastes like you're chewing a mouthful of weeds and grapefruit peel. Oh. It's incredibly bitter. It tastes like garbage. Is it weird that that description made me want to drink it? You're a strange person. I like botanicals. Well, so here's the thing. I actually tried to order a bottle before we did this topic. Stop! I tried to order it from 12 different websites. We can't get it here. I looked on Total Wine. They don't stock it. I was going to say, is it at Total Wine? Total Wine doesn't stock it. Okay, so it doesn't exist. BevMo doesn't stock it. BevMo. No bar in the area carries it. Hot take. BevMo, not as good as Total Wine. Duh. Okay, thank you. But neither one has it. Can't find it here. Okay, well, I'm glad you've tried it. You can only find it in Chicago. It's awful. Why Um, are people drinking it then? Well, that's the thing. So even though it's the most terrible taste in the world, it is is iconic in Chicago. Every liquor store, it's at every bar, it's in every self-respecting liquor drinking household, they have a bottle of Malert. Oh, weird. Okay. And there's a story behind it, and this is it. Okay, I'm ready. So in 1865, this motherfucker called Carl Jepsen is born in Ustad, Sweden. Okay. I spent time learning how to pronounce these Swedish words. I appreciate that. Because my first inclination was to do the Swedish chef voice from Muppets the entire episode. (laughs) piss myself. <laughs> but I didn't want to offend the Swedes that much. <laughs> we don't need to do that. No, the Swedes are the Swedes are great and powerful people. Don't make them mad. Are you not part? No, you're not. No, I've got a little bit of Norwegian. Mm. That's the closest I got. Mm. Ustad, Sweden, 1865. So this is old timey. And I don't mean this to be a history podcast, but I always get... You love history. When I learn something interesting, I don't just stop. I go back to the source and mm-hmm. it's always, you know, 200 fucking years ago. But anyways, 1865, motherfucker Carl Jepsen's born in Ustad, Sweden. He migrates to America in the mid 1880s when he's about 20 years old Mm -hmm. and like a lot of people including my grandfather who moved to Minnesota from Norway Mm -hmm. he's looking for the American dream this is back when there was one But no, this is back when capitalism worked. So he ends up settling in Chicago's Swedish district Mm -hmm. because apparently that's a thing. I feel like the main places had a lot of different districts of different people who grew up together because they all spoke the same language. Yeah, I think most people are more familiar with like the big city kind of stuff, like Mm -hmm. Chinatown. Japantown. Swedentown Mm -hmm. is in Chicago. Oh, cute. And that's where Carl Jepsen ended up settling. Okay. He started a business making cigars, uh, which did fairly well. Mm -hmm. He didn't get rich, but he came here, started a business, made a living, lived here for many years, ended up getting married, you know. Pretty much made it. Yeah. And that was pretty much his entire story until 1920 when Prohibition hit. Oh, okay. 
I don't know if you're familiar with Prohibition. That is one of the few historical occurrences I am actually familiar with because I drink. Well, then we won't go over it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I know some history. It's just really not my topic. I don't actually know that much about history either. It's just... You do, though. I like knowing the root reasons for things. No, you know a lot about history, dude. A lot of people grow up and they never think about why things are like this. Why do we speak English? Why are these the laws? Mm-hmm. If you go back in history, there's always a historical reason for it. I don't actually like learning about history. I find it boring as fuck, but I like knowing the reason why things are the way they are. You're a tinker. Exactly. How does this work? What's under the hood? I'm, well, I do the same thing, but just not with history. I'm like, oh, I want to learn about the popples. <laughs> what the fuck is a popple? Don't ask. You'll okay. find out in the future. Fair enough. Cool. Prohibition. Mm-hmm. 1920. Okay. Big fucking deal. Yep. All liquor's illegal. The worst. Even beer and wine and shit. Oh. Everything's illegal. No booze. Period. Even the, kombucha. They Continue. didn't have Karens in 1920. Good point. Carl Jepsen. By now, he's been living here for many, many years. Age 55 by now. Mm-hmm. He sees a business opportunity. Oh, smart man. Because the 18th Amendment, they actually amended the Constitution for Prohibition. Mm -hmm. The 18th Amendment had exceptions in it. One of them was religious services. So, for example, the Catholics could still have their wine at mass. Are you fucking kidding me? So, as long as I pretend to be Catholic, I could have still gotten drunk on wine on Sunday? Yes. I would do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people did. Yeah. The Jewish peoples, they took advantage of Manischewitz wine. Ooh, smart. The Catholics could still have wine at mass. There were lots of little loopholes. For a guy on the street, you couldn't buy a bottle at the store. Yeah. It was illegal. And if they caught you drunk, you would go to jail. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people all of a sudden became like DIY homebrewers. Well, yeah, that's why prohibition was a bad fucking move because it suddenly created a whole bunch of rum running and smuggling. The mafia made all of their money off of smuggling illegal booze and manufacturing booze. Mm-hmm. You had speakeasies, you had the moral decline. Because people are too lazy to make their own alcohol. Well, ironically, you know, the uh, reason alcohol was made illegal in the first place was a bunch of Bible thumpers convinced Congress to amend the Constitution, and then everybody suddenly became like these really jazzy speakeasy dwelling, mm-hmm. you know prostitution got huge. The mafia got mm-hmm. huge. And who was responsible? A bunch of Bible thumping Jesus freaks. Carl Jepsen, there you go. currently 55, sees a business opportunity because mm-hmm. there's a religious exemption mm-hmm. from prohibition. There's also a medicinal exemption. Oh, so bitch. if your drink is medicinal, it can still have alcohol in it. And Carl Jepsen remembers this liquor from his home country of Sweden. Mm-hmm. Random fun fact, the word for liquor in Swedish is brandvin, which literally translates to burn wine. Oh, Jesus. The wine that burns. I fucking love that. That's metal (laughs) as fuck. But he moved away from Sweden when he was 20. Yeah. So he remembered this liquor from when he was 20, 40 years later. Yeah, 35 years later, he goes... Very cool. Well, they said medicine's legal. Yeah. And he remembers a particular brandvin from Mm -hmm. home called Basque, which was a folk remedy for digestive problems. Mm Hmm. Basque is basically vodka. It's made from potatoes and grain sometimes, and it's very similar to absinthe in that it contains wormwood. Oh, geez. Okay. So you're familiar with wormwood. I am. Yep. So medicinally, wormwood is a digestive aid, mm-hmm. which is why it's in Basque. Mm-hmm. But it's also rumored to cause hallucinations in large quantities. You're getting into some... It was banned in a lot of countries, mm-hmm. you know. But here's the thing. That's all bullshit. Scientifically, it's never been proven in a lab to cause any kind of hallucinations. Mm-hmm. It's mildly toxic, but not in a severe way. Like, drinking a little bit won't hurt you. Mm-hmm. And it does not cause any sort of hallucinatory effect. As an experiment, when we were teenagers, me and a buddy of mine, we had some illegal absinthe imported to us. We had a friend of a friend. We That's got awesome. we got a full bottle of European absinthe. Yeah. And we killed it together. And neither one of us saw jack shit. It's 
not a hallucinogen. I will take your word what for we, that because you have hallucinated before. What we were was fucking hammered. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah, no. That's... So it's been scientifically proven the whole like hallucinogen thing is bullshit, but it does actually help with digestion. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few natural herbal remedies that isn't complete bullshit. There you go. It actually works. I say Sweden's getting in some witchy shit here. I like it. Well, they're the Swedes. I know. They're the Karen Andersons. I'm smirking right now. <laughs> I'm into all right, this. All right, okay. all right. But here's the thing. Absinthe has other shit in it. Absinthe has anise and fennel and a bunch of spices. Mm-hmm. It has a very unique flavor, which is a bunch of ingredients. Basque is literally just cheap potato-based alcohol and a fuckload of wormwood. That's Ooh, all God, it is. That's not a good flavor. Well, in typical Swedish fashion, it is incredibly nasty tasting and very bitter and mm-hmm. gross, but that's kind of the Swedish thing. Like, you've heard of surströming. I actually have no idea what you just said. It's canned rotten fish. Oh, no. Okay, now I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. There's YouTube channels where yep. people just yep. eat it as a reaction video kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is Swedish cuisine. Mm-hmm. Not entirely. The Swedes have great meatballs, for example, but their traditional food, the ones they hold in high regard, are ones that are hard to eat for foreigners, you know? I, I think most <laughs> traditional foods usually don't taste great to people unused to them. Well, exactly. So Basque is entirely unknown in the USA, and in fact, pretty much anywhere except for Sweden, except this Carl Jepsen guy, mm-hmm. is going, well, maybe I'll start making this medicine here. Hmm. Here in Chicago. Smart buddy. Uh-huh. He names his product Malert. Which means... Wormwood. Oh, literally just wormwood. Yeah. For goodness sake. It's okay. the Swedish word for wormwood. I love it. Uh-huh. And he sells it door-to-door. Because oh. remember, he's still making cigars for a living, but he goes around door-to-door knocking on them, mm-hmm. and whatever condition you have, wormwood will fix it. Of course. And wormwood will actually aid in digestion. Yeah. It's a bit like ginger. And that it naturally the stuff does. that I mainline whenever I'm having an icky tummy? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it works like that. Wormwood's actually legitimately good for that. They've done tests. It's, it oh, works. Maybe I'll um, get some wormwood. So he sells it as medicine. The thing mm-hmm. is, it's like 75 proof. Wow. Right. So he's walking around with these bottles of disgusting liquor that's high percentage, selling them door-to-door in Chicago in the you- 20s. The important thing is he never got caught because mm. obviously the cops were wise to this. A bunch of shysters were trying this kind of thing. Mm. So there were a bunch of guys who were like, oh, it's not booze, it's medicine, or it's not booze, it's my religion. Mm-hmm. And the cop's job at the time was basically to go around, catch these guys, throw them in jail. Mm. Carl Jepson was never caught. And the reason is, a cop would pull him aside, like, hey, we see you selling booze over there, sonny boy. And he'd go, no, no, it's medicine, try it. And they would oh, try God. it. Oh, <laughs> And it was so fucking disgusting. They believed him? Not once did any law enforcement official not believe him that it was medicine, not booze. That's so good. Because it was so bitter and terrible. That's so good. So it's literally, it's just not mixed with anything. It's just straight up vodka with wormwood soaked well, in it. it's not vodka. They use a different or, mix or yeah, yeah, slightly yeah. different it, it, whatever. A, a liquor of it's, some It's sort. a Swedish liquor very similar to vodka. Oh, goodness. That is heavily infused with just pure wormwood. That's not going to taste good. Okay. I'm kind of glad you didn't Do get it. Do you want it. me to go back over the description list again? Nope. Nope. We're good. Tastes we're like good. hairspray we're and good. death and condoms and gasoline and pencil shavings and grapefruit dick. not going to be able to eat our sushi. I'm very excited <laughs> for the... My topic might ruin your entire digestive are we, having, are we having like a gross topic day? Weirdly enough, this matches up extremely well with mine. Weird. Okay. So, in 1933, Prohibition after 13 years finally ends. Mm-hmm. Pretty much puts Carl Jepson's Malort scheme out of business because mm-hmm. now people can just go buy bourbon and vodka. Something that tastes good? Anything that tastes good. Literally anything. But that's fine because by this time he is... Guess how many years old? Oh, math. 65? 67. He's 69. Oh, no, 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 damn it. I'm so proud of you. I'm like, I'm painfully proud of you. Oh, I'm never going to figure out how to slip that in. That's what she said. Ayo. <laughs> 
So he's 69. <laughs> um, he's got his liquor money. He was not rich, but he was very successful because he sold this for 13 years yeah. and nobody ever caught him. Fair amount of money, so he retires. But here's the thing. Jepson's Malort concoction still has a cult following in Chicago. Because think about it. For a lot of folks who didn't want to go to speakeasies or deal with, you know, illicit sales, they wanted to be able to buy booze legally. So there's a ton of households that for 13 years would only get drunk on Jepson's Malort. Oh, God, they're used to it. They've become oh. adapted to it and they've, and they've started liking it. Okay, that's called Stockholm Syndrome. It's called culture because that's exactly <laughs> why Swedes like Malort. Mm-hmm. Because it's been a part of their culture for so long, Swedes buy a ton of Basque because it's a home remedy for digestive issues. And so if you feel sick, have a shot of Basque and then that. eventually you get a taste for it, right? So it's one of those cultural things where like if you jump into it objectively, if you jump into the deep end of the pool and just have some, mm-hmm. you just want to die. It tastes terrible. You never want to have it again. But after a while, have a couple more, you start to get a little sense of the nuance. It's an acquired taste, which means it's mm-hmm. fucking gross. But if you have a lot of it, your brain gets used to it. But that's how I got myself to accept wine. And I used to hate it. And now that's like pretty much my favorite thing to drink. Well, that's how you get used to spicy food. Actually, yes. You have made me a baby spice lord. Uh-huh. That is your fault. And I blame you completely. Probably don't love it. I do. It opens up whole new windows of cuisine. So Carl Jepsen, 69. <laughs> Sorry. He, he decides to get out of the uh, under-the-table liquor business, and he ends up selling the original recipe for a pretty punny, mind you, to a company called Beals Off Products. And before we get on to them, Carl Jepson, the inventor of Jepson's Milut, continued to live in Chicago until 1949, where he passed away in his own home at the age of 84. Oh. Here's Carl Jepson. Carl Jepson. So, Beals Off Products. I thought you said Beelzebub. Continue. Beals Off Bub Products. <laughs> Is a company in Chicago, and their whole sort of line of business is, because Chicago's a very big immigrant city, they find all of the interesting liquors that kind of come in from different countries, oh, cool. and they produce them and sell them there. And so they're not a huge company. They never hit, like, Jack Daniels level, you know? Mm-hmm. But they sell strange little bottles of liquors from interesting backgrounds, and they bought the Malert recipe, huh. because it's a weird liquor from a foreign country, and they can package it in an interesting bottle and resell it. That's kind of their shit. Beals Off Products is owned by a guy called George Brode, who was a particularly big Alert fan. Because he likes weird liquor. It's his whole industry. So he bought the recipe from Carl Jepson Mm -hmm. and produced it for years until in 1953 he sold his entire company. The reason he did that is his wife was nagging his ear off. To sell the alcohol company? Because he had a law degree. Stop. And he'd had a law degree the entire time. He could have been a very successful lawyer. Could have been but a he was so, But he was so interested in weird little local liquors, he ended up doing the Beals Off products thing yeah. for years. But eventually his wife kind of got the better of him. Like, if you just be a fucking lawyer, we can probably get a bigger house, that kind of thing. I get that. I mean, come on, support his weird passion. Yeah, sure. But, you know, also, big ass house, though. Honey, with the weird liquors, please. <laughs> Stop playing with dolls. Just go to the courthouse and make us enough money to get me a nice car. I mean, he could work 10 years selling weird liquors or he could work two months as a lawyer. Well, the ex- same amount of money. Exactly. I get that. I get, She's I not wrong. That. And so... I mean, reason I have an office job. I get it. Right. And so in 1953, he sells the entire company and every single one of the recipes except Malert. Because mm. again, it was his favorite one. He really loves this weird, incredibly really gross cute. liquor. So he does become a successful attorney mm-hmm. and he makes a lot of money. He does really well for himself. But as a side project, as a hobby, he forms the Carl Jepson Company in honor of Carl Jepson. Oh my gosh, what? It's not a moneymaker. It basically does this just to make sure that Chicago doesn't forget about Carl Jepson and Malert. Oh, that's so wholesome. And so he basically makes it his personal project outside of his lawyer work hours to make sure that Malert is still produced 
and Carl Jepsen is remembered. That is so cute. I'm not crying. You're crying. And here's the thing. George Broad is a bit of a marketing genius mm-hmm. because he realizes that Milliard is bad. He knows it tastes bad. Mm-hmm. He knows that it's awful and somebody trying it will say I never want to have it again. And so he milks that. It's a challenge drink. And he starts advertising Milliard around Chicago with the most goofy, macho, over-the-top advertisements. At one point when there are Milliard bottles on the shelf, there's mm-hmm. a tag hanging off of them in big, bold text that says, Are you man? enough to drink our two-fisted liquor. Oh my god, this guy's a genius. I love it. And for many, many years, there was this paragraph on the back of the bottle, and I really love the paragraph because it's just such marketing brilliance. Tell me. Most first-time drinkers of Jepson's Milliard reject our liquor. It is a strong, sharp taste, and it's not for everyone. Our liquor is rugged and unrelenting, even brutal to the palate. We found only one of 49 men will drink Jepson's Milliard. Carl Jepson was apt to say, My Milliard is produced for that unique group of drinkers who disdain light flavor and neutral spirits. It is not possible to forget our two-fisted liquor. The taste just lingers and lasts seemingly forever. The first shot is hard to swallow. Persevere. Make it past two shock glasses. And with the third, you'll be ours forever. They love that. How good is that? Oh, branding on point. And so, it, this is in the 50s, though. From the communications director, I applaud thee. So it fucking worked. Oh, my And gosh. the whole toughness was a big appeal to Chicago. Yeah. To Chicagoans? Chicagoans? To Chicacacaca? To, <laughs> to chickens? What are they called? Chicagoans. Bros from Chicago. Yeah. Really fucking like. Chicago bros. Chicago bros. Mm. Really like the vibe. They love that shit. That's and brilliant. Well, well, the thing is that with the existing legacy from the Prohibition era, mm-hmm. so it, the old folks remembered it. The young guys liked it because it tastes like shit. Yep. It became a rite of passage in Chicago. If you're a Chicago and you can drink Malert with a straight face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Just imagining the taste. I'm like, uh. Uh, I'm trying to get some. If you ever find a place that distributes it, I want to buy it. will be my new mission. Like. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've been looking for a week. But you're not me. I'm not the communications officer. I'm the chief engineer. Okay. So it never gets big, but it becomes a thing that people in Chicago know about. Mm-hmm. It's basically a cult liquor. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a cult liquor? Get it? A, a cult? Like Satan liquor? Like. Are you saying that I'm an occult liquor? Because I am. <laughs> oh, you just outclevered me and I am offended. Okay. So, George Broad continues making and marketing, never really getting huge, but having local support in Chicago for another 40 years. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the King of Sweden personally flies George Broad there, and he gives him a medal of recognition <laughs> for preserving Swedish culture in America. Oh! <laughs> And this guy's a lawyer by day. I love this. And he's American. He's an American lawyer, yeah. Oh my god, that's so cute. But he's the only person in America, first of all, making Basque. Yeah. And preserving the memory of Carl Jepsen. Honoring Jepsen. Exactly. Oh my god, that's so sweet. That's so uh, Sweden. In 1966, he hires this gal called Patricia Gabelik as his legal secretary. And she's unaware of the liquor business. Mm-hmm. She's literally just hired to be his secretary for the law firm. And uh, as they continue to work together on legal cases, you know, she eventually becomes aware of the liquor business he has on the side. Yeah. And it ends up helping him with that, too. And she kind of becomes his uh, trusted friend and confidant. Aww. But we'll get back to her later. In 1986, disaster strikes the Carl Jepsen Co. Because the Marsal Distillery in Chicago... Who's 1986? Been... 1986. Whoa, okay. I told you, 40 years. Holy crap. That's awesome. Yeah. 1986, the Marsal Distillery in Chicago, which has been making Jepson's Milieu mm-hmm. for like 40 or 50 years at this point, mm-hmm. they run out of money and go out of business. Oh. And there is no other distillery left in Chicago who is either willing or able to make Milieu anymore. That's sad. George Broad will not let this fucking die. Good for him. And he goes looking around the country for distilleries that will produce this. The best he can find is a bourbon company in Kentucky who agrees to make it. Mm-hmm. After two years, they say no, because it's such a niche cult thing. It's only a Chicago 
Chicago thing. It's not. The volume isn't worth their time to make. They're not getting enough money off of it. George Broad will still not let it die. And he finds a company called Florida Distillers in Florida Mm -hmm. and convinces them to make Malert. And they agree. They ended up making it for the next 30 years or so. (laughs) Good guy, Florida. Yeah. It's one of the only times you'll ever hear that. (laughs) Accurate. So George Broad finally passes away in 1999 Mm -hmm. at the age of 89. To George Broad. George Broad. Badass. And he leaves his entire company. Patricia. To Patricia Gabelik. Yes! Patricia. (laughs) (laughs) She's been a secretary her entire life, but she takes it up. Patricia now has this Malert liquor company to take care of. Why can't I love this? And she does it. She keeps making it, and it remains a very, very underground thing, very small batches, but she keeps it going. It never leaves production, but, like, very few people still know about it. Like, even in Chicago, it's still sort of underground, Mm -hmm. even though it's been produced for fucking so many years now. And then it suddenly gains attention, because in 2011, a comedian called... Sam Meckling goes viral because he does a comedy bit about Malert. Oh god, okay. And his whole comedy bit is not like praising Malert, it's talking about how bad it tastes. Mm-hmm. My favorite description of Malert from him is, Malert tastes like baby aspirin wrapped in a grapefruit peel bound with rubber bands then soaked in well gin. <laughs> <laughs> it's very popular just because his descriptions are so verbose and yeah. funny. And so he starts making t-shirts. Is he allowed to make those t-shirts? Well, no. Mm-hmm. He never requested a copyright. Because she's a legal secretary. Stop! And Patricia gave is a legal secretary by trade. She contacts him and she's going to sue the shit out of him for stealing their trademark mm-hmm. and making a whole fuckload of money off Malert. Mm-hmm. And so she calls him up, she agrees to meet with him, and she thinks he is so funny, she hires him as the official Malert marketing director. What? Yeah. This is so cute. Yeah. Sam Fuck Ga- me. Sam Meckling, the comedian who made a career on making fun of Malert, becomes their official marketing director. And they change their whole marketing direction where all of the marketing is about how bad Malert is. So they go back to the like the original kind of marketing. They go back to the original George Broad kind of marketing. Oh my god, I love this. One of the things that Sam Meckling brings to the table is that he and Patricia secure a long-term source for the strongest, most unpalatable wormwood possible. Specifically to make Malert taste worse. And through Sam's marketing campaigns and also the grassroots support that it's always had in Chicago, Malert sales shoot through the roof and it becomes one of the most popular liquors in Chicago. Like I said, every single liquor store, every single bar, it becomes like the dare in Chicago to drink Malert. And so, how's Malert doing now? Mm-hmm. You knew I was about to ask that. Well, in 2019, Patricia Gablick, mm-hmm. who is still alive, by the way. Yay! The Patricia Gablick. Patricia! She's 75. She's been selling Malert since 1966. Mm-hmm. She decides to retire, and she's looking for somebody to buy Malert. And this company, CH Distillery, a startup in Chicago, buys the Malert recipe and the rights from her. And so, for the first time since 1986, the production and distribution of Malert moves back to Chicago. Oh, it's home. Like it started in the 20s with the original Carl Jepsen. Oh, God. Okay. This is really cute. It's more popular than ever, and 2020 is... The 100-year anniversary of Malert. It is! It has been in continuous production for 100 years now. During the current COVID-19 pandemic, the CH Distillery just started producing Malert hand sanitizer. <laughs> Actually crying. Like, happy crying. But and like, that's the story of Jepson's Malert. You just blew my mind. From a Swedish immigrant who came over here when he was like 20, mm. 100 years later. Hustling during the Prohibition, selling his weird unknown Swedish liquor illegally. And then some sweet American decides this is the hill I'm going to die on. Sells the whole company, keeps it. Becomes and like, BFF with his secretary, and she's like, I'm going to help you out, bro. After you pass, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, just like... When she's ready to what? retire, a little startup gets it. And then they make hand sanitizer to help during the crisis. What? That's my story. That was really 
really sweet. I love that. Do you need to cry a lot? A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My topic is hookworms and the stereotype of the lazy southerner. The fuck? (laughs) This has been eating at me all week, and I don't mean to make a hookworm joke, but that just went there. (laughs) Okay. So, following the American Civil War, huge stereotype that American Southerners were just, like, lazy, unmotivated. You know, there's still a hint of that today. I've seen the old comics. Yeah, Yeah, just lazy, uneducated, a couple different reasons. Horrible conditions, economic setbacks after the war because they lost. Perfect breeding ground for the stereotype. Post-war poverty, poor Southerners were forced to live on rented land, which I found interesting. I didn't actually know this. So, there's a whole bunch of landowners, and it turns out most landlords, most places don't give a fuck about the people renting their area. So, they didn't have bedpans, so they were forced to just poop and pee wherever around the property. Um, There weren't even outhouses necessarily. Like fucking animals. Yeah, literally. Inability to afford good clothing or even any clothing. Frequently not even able to afford shoes. Burlap sacks! Exactly. Hella burlap sacks. That's why Um, that's a stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of free-range animals. You know, you're not going to be able to afford to build a fence. And then, especially in the South, torrential downpours. Yeah. The weirdest stormy areas. I'm obviously obsessed with following hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff. So yeah, I've been there a few times. We're in Western Washington. Everyone thinks that it just rains here all the time because if you look at the statistics Mm -hmm. two out of three days a year there is rain there's precipitation it's just mist it's these tiny little droplets drizzle it means nothing you don't need an umbrella for it Mm -hmm. a rain shower in the south is like you will be walking down the street and it'll be sunny and hot and then all of a sudden it's like somebody poured a bucket of water over your head for 20 (laughs) minutes and it's gone yeah they have big issues with flooding yes so all that combined um to make the perfect breeding ground for what we like to call the american killer Ah! yeah also known as a hookworm. Oh. Yeah. I don't know much about the hookworm, so. That's okay. I'm going to educate you. Educate you. Yeah, I don't this, know if I want to. I told you it was going to be kind of gross. I know. Yeah. So the reason they called the American killer is because um, when it was discovered, it was called Necator Americanus, aka uh, Necator, Latin for murderer or killer. Americanus for American. So basically it's killer American. American killer. Yeah. American killer. Yeah, exactly. Phylum nematoda. So it's a nematode. I just love saying the word nematode. Yeah. I don't even think I like nematodes. Just the word though. It's fun to say nematode. Nematode. There you go. Yeah. Try it on. Great. It's like envelope. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Lives in the small intestines of usually human hosts. They like heavy rains, warm temperatures, and the barefoot of children, preferably male. So what they do is they have a little tiny larva. They penetrate the human skin, usually in the foot. They travel through your blood vessels and they get into your heart and eventually reach your lungs. They don't like to stay in the lungs though. Then they burrow through the pulmonary alveoli. Wait, so they're like in the blood? Blood worms. Larva. Yeah, yeah. Oh, larva. Um, oh, that's better. Travel, <laughs> travel up the trachea, and then they are swallowed, mm. and then they get into your small intestine, which is where they prefer to live. If it was a dating profile, they'd be like, oh, I can live in, you know, your heart, but I really love small intestines. Give uh, me free food. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the issue, is that they attach the intestinal wall, they mature into an adult, and then they just start reproducing like crazy. We're going to fuck like rabbits, but we're in your intestines. Mm. They have a ton of eggs, which usually will travel down following your food. They get pooped out by the host usually a human and then eventually because they didn't have indoor plumbing and they're pooping everywhere and they can't afford shoes. There's just dookie up on their feet and eggs on their feet. And then it gets sucked up and the whole process starts again. So we come full circle. Exactly. So this is kind of why it just went rampant in the South. Well, worms were really big in Middle Ages and also during the Renaissance because people just dumped their poop out the windows. Exactly. And people just walk through it on the street. That's where there were a lot of worms. This is the exact same thing. Right. But like Um, 200 years later. Yeah. 
so America. They started noticing this in the 20th century. They think that the hookworms came to America in the 17th century, most likely. On From literally what boats. I was just talking about yeah, on a boat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much where they came. And then eventually the hookworms evolved into its own American version of a hookworm. Unrelated to other types of hookworms, for example, in Puerto Rico that ran rampant, which I will get into later. In a scientific respect, I kind of respect them. They're very hardy animals. Oh, extremely. There are still hookworm infestations. Sure. Just quickly get into the symptoms. Early symptoms. <laughs> I know. I know you're super into this. Um, skin irritation. I mean, it's kind of like ringworm. Yeah. You know, that thing that you guys get when you guys do the footballs and the rugby's and stuff and you're all gross. Doesn't happen in rugby because in rugby you change outside. We get naked in the parking lot. As you should. And none of us have ringworm. Public nudity. Okay, so early symptoms. Skin irritation. Sure. Because your immune system's obviously having a problem. Excessive coughing and short of breath, especially during the larval migration. You get short of breath because it's going down your trachea. It's in your you're lungs. Fucking around your lungs. Yeah, so you, you get kind of the short of breath and you can't really do anything. These things are creepy. This is what I was telling you. Is I was getting lost in some like CDC, very in-depth reading of this. And I was like, I'm never going to go outside again. Just wear shoes. You know, well, like... that's what I do. Anyways, so sometimes symptoms don't arise for like 40 days because it takes a while to penetrate the skin. I'm going to keep saying this and it's going to grow some people out. So I'm actually going to stop. Anyways, it takes a while to set up home inside the small intestines. Full symptoms. Found this really interesting. Blood loss is usually because they're just drinking your blood. So you get anemic, uh, which iron deficiency is a huge issue. Mm. Oh, yeah. One individual hookworm can cause 30 microliters of blood loss per day. Average infestations range from 100 to 500 hookworms. In some people, left untreated can get above 500. By that math, 500 worms sucking 30 microliters a day is about 1.5 liters of blood loss a day. Jesus. To put that in perspective, for our American folks who don't do liters, about 6.3 cups of blood a day. If you have a very severe infestation, it usually doesn't get above 500, but that can be a thing. That's still a fuckload of blood, dude. So 6.3 cups of blood. Yeah. For our more lush friends, the big liquor bottles, like the vodka bottles you and I usually get 1.75 liters. So they're pretty much losing one of our vodka bottles a day of blood. The average human body only has 4.5 to 5 liters. That's a good 30 year shit. Yeah. So you're losing about a 30 year blood, which is insane. But that's again, left untreated 500 plus hookworms, completely anemic. So how the fuck are you going to have any energy for anything? That's where we're going, right? Oh. So um, iron deficiency anemia can cause mental retardation and growth insufficiency in children. Sure. So if you are a kid and you get this, they're sucking your blood, your brain doesn't have enough energy to do anything, all of a sudden you are forced to function at a different level. Um, you have no energy. Your brain doesn't have enough blood to actually grow and learn as a child. Infected patients can experience abdominal pain, uh, diarrhea, bloating, nausea, the whole fun. So hookworms ran wild in post South. They were in about 40% of the southern population from Texas to West Virginia. So you have all these kids infected, going unchecked, prevents menstruation in girls, usually prevents puberty in girls and boys, uh, prevents growth spurts, and then they have irreversible cognitive and intellectual disabilities. So basically, all of a sudden, post-Civil War, you have this random thing, and for some reason, and nobody knows about hookworm yet, this hasn't been discovered, all of a sudden the entire world's like, southern kids ain't smart. 40% 40% of your population is idiotic. They look weird. They look weird. Um, It creates, they call them angel wings because they get so emaciated that the shoulders come out. I've seen that. Yes, yes. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they call them angel wings. This feels, if I may interject, this feels Please. a hell of a lot like the lead poisoning issue mm-hmm. uh, among poor communities in major cities in Detroit and yes. Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. I did not know about this at all. Isn't that crazy? I was listening to the last podcast on the left episode where they are teasing Marcus for having worms as a kid. Yeah. And so I was listening to this and I was like so fascinated that Marcus was like, it was such a normal thing for him as a kid to have gotten worms. And I was thinking about that and I was like, man, that's so weird that like the other two were just like, uh, what are you talking about? Nobody gets worms. They both it- grew up in cities. Neither one was particularly poor. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I found that kind of fascinating. So I started Googling like worms in the South and went down this rabbit hole. I found a PBS Nova article. Love Nova. And- 
Rachel Neuer did an amazing job 2016. It's like a multiple page article kind of compiling all this information and basically like making the correlation that other people have made. Um, that's probably the roots of a lot of Southern stereotypes, right? Well, that's the Southern stereotype of being lazy. Well, and stupid. Exactly. Yes. Blew my mind. So I blame last podcast for getting me onto this whole deep, dark rabbit hole because I was like, is worms and being a Southerner, like that's a normal thing? Like why is Marcus like so normal about this? No, I think having worms and being a kid who spends a lot of time outside in the dirt mm-hmm. are directly correlated. Which was- And so if it, you're if you're a rich yes. city kid, how much time do you spend outside in the dirt? Almost none. With no shoes. Yeah. Right. A deaf got worms. You deaf did. Yes. So I thought Had that Had was... worms. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I got him now, and I'm super smart now. This is how you don't get laid. Had. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so this is running rampant in the South. Nobody knows it, though. Just for some reason, all these people are sick. All these kids are sick. They're not hitting puberty. They have no energy to do anything. For some reason, nobody has glue. And it's only in the South. The entire nation is just like, that's just the South. Oh, that's just that's just them. That's what well, they do. Well, like this People just... still repeat this stuff. Bunch of goddamn inbred rednecks. Exactly. Yeah. And... It sucks because there was an entire underlying cause for this and they were all just sick. It was economic subjugation. Extremely. Yeah. In 1902, a gentleman named Charles W. Stiles, he's a medical zoologist, um, eventually became a parasitologist. He's from New York, was asked by the Department of Agriculture to go and study farm animals who also would have hookworm. And for some reason, the farm animals weren't healthy in the South, but that was the main area of farming. And Department of Agriculture obviously needs their animals to be healthy for economics. Not just economics, for us city slickers to have food on our table. Exactly. So Mr. Stiles goes down to the South and he's like, why is everyone half dead around here? Nobody has any energy. All the workers can only work for two hours a day. Everyone's tired. The kids are all stupid as hell. What's going on? And he becomes obsessed with figuring out the issue of the South's exhausted people. So he started collecting samples. I'm assuming this wasn't explicitly said, but I'm assuming fecal samples because it's really how you find hookworms. You mean he gathered a gang of poop? He gathered a gang of poop. Yes. He got to poopoos. He got to poopoos? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he actually had a former student of his who was already well-versed in hookworms. Guy's name is Bailey Ashford. Quick side note. He's an American physician from the U.S. Army and he was the first person to successfully understand what the North American hookworm was because Mr. Stiles had sent him samples. He was actually serving in Ponce, Puerto Rico in 1899. Poop collector down south. <laughs> identified a hookworm issue in Puerto Rico, and between 1903 and 1904, him and his colleague Pedro Gutierrez Higuera Videz treated approximately 300,000 people for Puerto Rican hookworm, which was a third of the Puerto Rican population. That's nuts. So Charles Stiles, in 1902, was aware of his students' work in Puerto Rico, and he started noticing some very interesting similarities between his work and what was going on in the South. Oh, because that was his poop. Exactly. Yeah. Sends him the samples, and he's like, hey, I know you moved over there like three years ago. I feel like something similar is going on, and they both analyzed the samples, and they found the American hookworm. Dude. Back to Charles Stiles and back to the South. Boop. I don't really read a lot into Charles Stiles. I might because I was kind of potentially using him for a future podcast. But I just like how he's like, oh, Department of Agriculture sent me down here as a zoologist from New York. And the first thing I do is ignore my job. And I'm really curious about why Southerners are lazy. Oh, I thought he was there to investigate no, the worms. No, he was supposed to help out farming culture in the South for the Department of Agriculture because he was a zoologist from New York. Oh, well, like livestock. He had nothing to do with parasitology. Like pigs and cows and goats and shit. Yeah. So Stiles realized that curing hookworm could possibly make the South be productive. And after reaching out to quite a few people, shockingly, no one listened to him. It turns out that there is definitely a culture in the South where it's an impolite topic and to imply that a very large portion of your culture has... Got the worms. Worms, yeah. It's a polite conversation and definitely it's not going to be something that you're going to talk about and definitely not something we, we want to diagnose. Extremely inappropriate. So hookworms ain't polite conversation. It's kind of like STDs are still now, which is why they spread because no one wants to talk about them. STIs, but yes. STQs, yeah. STBs. <laughs> but... 
luckily, Charles Dell has made enough of a kind of hua about it um, where the national press took the story. Hua! Hua! Luckily, the free press picked it up, um, and they started calling the hook room the germ of laziness, which, after it's been reported about and written about, even if it's not polite conversation, at some point, if the entire rest of the nation, let alone possibly the world, is calling your entire culture lazy, they're going to start listening, Mm -hmm. because now it's a personal offense, right? Yeah. John D. Rockefeller was looking for a philanthropy project. Mm. Reads a newspaper, oh, the germ of laziness, the South, needs to be cured, and Charles Stiles is like, I feel like we could cure this, but I don't have the money, and he's like, yaha, philanthropy! Rockefeller donated $1 million in 1909. That's like $18 billion today. Right. I didn't do the math. I probably should have. This will be a thing that I can mention next time. He created the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission for the Eradication of Hookworm Disease. Golf clap. Thank you. And he appointed Wycliffe Rose, professor of philosophy in Nashville. But more crucial, he was a Southerner in charge of the Rockefeller Eradication of Hookworm Society. <laughs> There's also a lot of strength in an accent. Well, and sounding like you belong. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to appeal to, let's say, the South on a social issue, mm-hmm. if you come in there talking like me, just like, hello, I want to come talk to you about <laughs> how important it is for you to wash your hands. They're going to be like this little bitch. Yep. I but, sound like I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Well, exactly. The same thing as a Southerner comes here and they're like, here's why I should be the... CEO of this corporation. It doesn't matter how smart they are. There's a bias against it. Well, yeah. You feel safer because you sound like you're in the tribe. Exactly. So, yes. Genius move. Rockefeller appointed a southerner in charge of the eradication of hookworms. And then they began an anti-hookworm campaign. I sure hope it was cartoons of a cowboy lassoing a hookworm. I have a cartoon that I will show you later. I don't have it here, but I will upload it to the website. Okay. It's like a kid and it's like his feet are just ginormous and there's all these creepy little hookworms which look like actual worms, which hookworms are not that big. But there's just like worms all on his foot and there's a dog in the background it's like hook worms will kill you it's uh, very valuable to illustrate something invisible yes. in a big exaggerated way because yeah, you can't see them people don't believe that an epidemic mm-hmm. that's invisible exists Ooh, hot take <coughs> 2020 anyways the rockefeller sanitary commission for the eradication of hookworm disease damn i couldn't have said that they basically one started you know like actual campaign about sending out information but you got the entire south they're trying to help. Right. So what they started doing is they would schedule a, a pop-up clinic at a southern town. So they'd be like, hey, this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, so that you don't have to miss work well, because guess, it's very important. I guess at that point, it's like anything going on in town in a lot of these places is the thing you go to. It literally, yes. We'll give out pie. Here's about hookworm. You got it. Fuck so it. Really? So these guys were, gen- again, genius branding. Uh, um, uh, so what theme they of the day. <laughs> genius branding and worms. So what they would do is they would schedule, on this day, we're going to have a doctor. He's going to roll through and he's going to set up a tent and he's going to test you for hookworm. Sure. And weeks before, they would send information to the teachers and be like, hey, tell the children in the schoolhouse this information. If you're a kid who's been kind of like tired and anemic and not going through puberty and maybe you feel really stupid or you can't like live up to your stuff, maybe like hearing that from your teacher that it's not really your fault. That You're missing a lot of your blood. Right. (laughs) Something is sucking your blood. Maybe hearing that your lack of ability to understand something is not your fault. It's due to a physical issue. That can be fixed. I would assume would do a lot for positive mental health. Absolutely. It's very similar to under-awareness of mental health issues, especially in teenagers, having depression or anxiety, not having a diagnosis, and just assuming that they are wrong. They assume they personally are bad. Yes. So all these Southerner kids probably assume that they personally were bad. And all of a sudden, they found out, actually, there might be something causing all this that has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with my genetics, nothing to do with my upbringing. It's just literally biological, and it's outside of me. I stepped on the wrong patch of dirt. Yeah, exactly. So weeks before the doctor visited town, sent all this information to the teacher so they can, you know, disseminate it to the students, and they would prep the town. They'd have like an I heard you giggling about disseminate. Was it semen? No, it was me imagining no, a small town elementary school teacher gathering all his kids in the gym being like, all right, smart kids, go back to class. Dumb kids, gather around. Turns out. <laughs> You're not dumb. You <laughs> just got the worms. <laughs> you ain't dumb. 
You just got the worms. <laughs> From my understanding, quite a few of these classrooms, there was multiple times where the entire classroom tested positive. Sure. I mean, this is pervasive and undiagnosed. Yeah. yeah. 40% of the population in the South at this point. Anywhere there's farms. Yeah. So then one day, the you know, they're like, oh, August 19th on Saturday, a doctor on a horse would pull up and he would set up clinic and it would be a whole freaking shindig, which I think this is like weirdly morbid and adorable. Because <laughs> like, you know, most of them don't have access to doctors. Mm. Most of them don't have clothes. Again, most of them don't have like any sort of outhouse. And just all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's this doctor. My understanding, um, I think the Rockefeller Foundation started pulling med students like right after they graduated just and started hiring them. Good. To send them around the South and then just go and hopefully cure populations of people. Task force. Exactly. Quick worm task force. Pew, pew, pew. Pew. <laughs> You're stealing my line. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the town would treat this as like an event. Yeah. Because they've been worked up for weeks and they're like, right. oh, this is a thing we We've need to do. We've heard this is a problem. Exactly. Here are the heroes coming in. Yeah. They would make an event of it. They would bring out fried chicken, salad, make a huge party out of it to the point where some people actually asked to get married in the hookworm tent. Fuck yes. Isn't that cute? Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's so gross and cute. I'm like, Where'd you get married? Oh, in an event space in Nobody Gives a Fuck? I got married in a right. hookworm tent. Yep. We had fried chicken and salad. That's fucking metal. I thought that was super cool. <laughs> was like yeah. So it was a whole event. What they would do is they would have everyone congregate in and around the tent and they would do a whole spiel and understanding of this is what hookworm is. These are the symptoms. This is what's going on. If somebody has these symptoms, here's how to avoid reinfection, which I thought was really important. And then on top of that, they taught them how to build proper outhouses by themselves out of raw materials. Really? Yes. They also obviously did testing, which sure. is the whole point of the hookworm tents, is right. to do testing upon the population. Not the fried chicken emeritus? Right. It's a brilliant draw. Yeah. So, have a party, have a hookworm tent, test everybody. And everyone who tested positive was sent home with Epsom salt and thymol and strict instructions. Because it turns out if you take either of those with alcohol or you take them all at once by themselves, you are dead. Dang. Unfortunately, the program only lasted for five years. Oh. Uh... Yeah. But it was the first established network of public health clinics in the South, okay. which is pretty cool. This was a very good example of a philanthropist and a couple of scientists doing a really good thing for people who had no access otherwise. And five years treated a lot of people who otherwise would have just been anemic, under the radar, not healthy for the rest of their life. And that's kind of the issue is there was a long-term effect of this. So even if they got healed at 12, you still aren't going to hit puberty because you were anemic that entire time. It's a long-term issue and they did what they could. So the program lasted five years. It didn't eradicate hookworm. They did their best. Surprise fried chicken didn't have more of an impact. That would just... <laughs> Fried chicken cures hookworm. Um, didn't eradicate hookworm, but the best thing that they did was pretty much slap the entire South upside the head and be like, you have an issue. You need to pay attention to this. The battle versus hookworm lasted decades. So keep in mind, the clinic experience ended in 1914. As of 1942, hookworm was still an issue in the South. Mm -hmm. But by 1985, it had mostly disappeared from the South, statistically. Hookworm had. Good. Mostly due to cheap, healthy food options. So your general health is better. So if you're anemic, um, you need iron. You need freaking eat some goddamn spinach. Even if you got the worm, you can get some yeah. ground beef. In yeah. You. If the only thing you're eating is literally just hella wheat and that's it, not going to do great to support your anemic issue. All you have to eat is like gruel and like dry bread. Right. right, exactly. Yeah. So cheap, healthy food options, yeah. indoor toilets, which had helped a lot. Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal, which helped a lot. Cities started popping up in the South. There weren't a lot of like urban cities until later in their history. And agricultural mechanization. So they didn't need to be out there with the farm animals constantly. All day, stepping in shit. Exactly. So basically, people started pooping inside. They started living in cities and they started wearing shoes, which kind of killed hookworm. Dang. So mm -hmm. it was just, it was, it was literally just technological progression. Yeah. 
And access. If a hookworm literally physically can't access you, it's not an issue. Right. It's like wearing a condom. STI is not going to be an issue if it can't get past the plastic barrier. Sure. We can't really measure how badly a hookworm actually affected the South. There's no direct correlation. The South does continue to lag behind the rest of the U.S. economically. Seven out of ten of the poorest states are in the South. Educationally as well as as far as I understand, yeah. Yes. Which is not on account of that stereotype that they're dumb. No, but that can be attributed to this issue from the 1900s. It's almost like certain groups' problems now can be attributed to their historical disadvantages, which are not their fault. Strange. Hot take and accurate. So we can't say hookworms cause the South to be the very poverty-stricken area. We can kind of make some correlations in there. Mm. And also we can't say that they have a lower IQ, but we can say that there was a rampant parasitic infestation that did cause lower IQ due to the infestation. They couldn't help it. Yeah, sure. And they might not still recover from it. There are still pockets that we can find in the area that still have hookworm very prevalent. To pull it full circle, my topic was the stereotype of the lazy, uneducated Southerner. We can't say hookworm was the issue, but we can correlate that due to hookworm, many people in the South suffered, and they do have 7 out of 10 of the poorest states and most of the uneducated population. Hookworm, the American killer! Negator Americanus! Hookworms in your feet! Pew, pew, pew! you should be more empathetic towards people that you don't understand. It turns out you should realize that certain groups of people have certain traits culturally, geographically, that are more a result of where they came from than who they are. Empathy towards humans. Indeed. Hmm. I got deep. My brain hole was intrigued. You continue to impress me. Gang of tiny worms permanently fucking up the cultural interpretation of an entire area of the United States. Cool story, bro. Worm liquor being sold by an immigrant during prohibition, making people rich, and eventually lawyers and secretaries do good for the Swedish nation. Cool story, bro. Fuck yeah.